You're listening to The Breakfasters podcast for the week February 20 to 24. This week, we spoke to criminologist Arthur Bolkus about youth prisons in crisis. And we had a little conversation about how to make golf a little bit more interesting. Don't play it. No, we did more than that. Uh, also, I went to the Seymour Alternative Farming Expo and we had a little bit of chat about my adventures there. And uh, for our Friday Funny Bugger, we had Nick Kappa Talking about Facebook. You're listening to Breakfasters here on Triple O with Jeff, Geraldine and Sarah. Arthur Bolkus is a criminologist, a consultant, a motivational speaker and an ex-prisoner. He's joining us to talk about the crisis in youth prisons in Victoria. Welcome to Breakfasters, Arthur. Yes, good morning. We've had a series of riots in youth prisons, a breakout from Malmesbury and an enormous amount of media coverage about youth justice there seems to be a consensus in the media, at least, that the system is in some sort of crisis. Is that your sense of things? Uh, crisis, yes, I'd say it's a crisis. And um, interestingly, it's one that I predicted a few years ago because I was consulting uh, to work at Malmesbury at the time and I had had previous experience working in the youth justice precinct in Parkville and... If you've been around prisons long enough, you get a sense of how they're going and what the temperature is in there. And sometimes it gets to uh, the point where things start to go wrong and they can go wrong really quickly, as we've, uh, we've seen both in the adult system and in the youth justice system. Most of us probably... most. Um well, many of our listeners will have got their ideas of prisons from Hollywood. Mm. We're hearing discussions about youth prison. What is a youth prison like? Could you describe it for us? Is it like an adult prison? Is it more like a school with locked gates? What is it like? Well, uh, the precinct uh, down in Parkville, it, it, was, uh, it was a prison, a proper prison. It had, uh, uh, or has, if you go and have a look at it, it has walls, um, whether they're... Uh, uh, of a solid construction or whether they're uh, fencing with razor wire. They have security cameras. They're locked in at night. Um, the, the, the place is regimented. It's, it's run along the lines of a, of a prison, but it's for young people. And so the, the atmosphere that they try and engender is meant to be different because it's young people, and they do try. They try to uh, foster a different kind of... Uh, uh, atmosphere that engenders uh, support for the young people. They try and rehabilitate them, to use that term. I think that there's an onerous burden put on staff in institutions like that, however, because uh, they're largely custodial in their nature. And then you move to Malmesbury. Malmesbury was more in what we'd call an open camp until they built a secure facility there some years ago. And uh, then even more recently, the, uh, with change of government, you get different policy approaches and uh, unfortunately the then Napthine government, in my opinion, made a big mistake. They thought they'd go in there and sort of straighten the place up and bring a bit of law and order and uh, they tried to turn it more into a prison per se and that experiment, I believe, backfired. And I predicted that would happen because I was working there at the time. And um, the thing with young people like that is, and I've worked, I worked in uh, the, pre the precinct at Parkville for three and a half years, going back about 15 years. Um, 
anyone who's been in prison, and even when I was in prison, you knew that the young offenders were the ones you had to be really careful with. They were the ones that were the most potentially volatile. They were bulletproof. They were young. They weren't, hadn't grown up properly. You know, their character hadn't been formed. And so they're not the kind of young people you can scare easily. In fact, with respect to the minister, um, the, 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 the premier rather, um, and others uh, of that ilk, when they start making public um, sounds of, you know, we're going to fix you and we're tougher than you and we're going to lock you up and, you know, knock you into shape, I mean, that to me is like throwing you know, fire uh, petrol onto the fire because these kids aren't scared of that kind of language. In fact, it probably, you know, causes them to respond negatively. So what kind of thing makes a riot or makes young people in a in an institution like that get to the point where they want to riot like what is what do you think is the cause of this well anyone again who's worked in a prison context knows that you've got to keep people occupied boredom is is the big killer and conditions so if you've got people who are bored um, and young people have a very short attention span <laughs> to begin with so you've got to be creative in in terms of how you engage them and you've got to try and find the key that unlocks their interest. And I know that that's not easy, but we pour enough money into this system. I mean, if the public knew how much money goes into keeping a young person locked up for a year, it's ridiculous. So when you look at the outcome, the return on that investment, we're not doing very well when you look at recidivism rates. So you've got to find that first to keep them occupied, keep them interested, whatever that might be. And the other thing is um, the conditions. Now, the conditions at Parkville, I'd been in there a number of times and I thought, this is really run down. It's substandard uh, in terms of what facilities should be in in, in our time. And uh, um, it was just a matter of time before the kids, I, I believe, started reacting to that. The other significant issue, in my opinion, is staffing. You've got to get the right mix of staff and... Again, I think when the changes were made, um, staff were introduced that I think were a little bit too inexperienced. Now, it's good to have university degrees and the like, and I've got one too, and that's fine. But a lot of that's theoretical stuff. Personally, I've always maintained people who work in prisons, whether they're officers or clinicians or whatever sort of professional person they might be, whether it's the youth justice or the adult, they need to be among the best because you're dealing with the most complex cohort of people with the most serious serious and significant personal and social issues. So if you throw people into that mix and add a little bit of violence and anger and aggression and all that, I mean, <clears throat> how do you expect inexperienced people to cope? So we don't tend to attract that calibre of person into those uh, places, unfortunately. So you put all that together, you've got a scenario for disaster. Mm. What do we know about um, the people who are ending up in youth justice facilities? Is there a typical profile or is every case different? What can you tell us about them? Look, uh, l- last year I think it was Jesuit Social Services did some research and I, I use this widely 
and we're talking now about adult offenders, but you, you, you need to remember that 50% of young people in the youth justice system right now will in five years be in the adult prison system. Jeez. So it's it's like a breeding ground. It's uh, it's just a, a process of moving from one institution and up the line and then staying caught up in that system for five, 10, 20 years at great cost to the community financially and in terms of victims and so forth. Um, so uh, so the, getting back to the research, the research showed that 50% of all Victorian prisoners derive from only 6% of Victorian postcodes. Now, when wow. you consider the implications of that, I often say, well, we know, don't we? We know that half of all prisoners come from very, very few postcodes. Now, I could tell you where they are. I live in Footscray. It used to be one, but now it's become a bit gentrified. So let's move a little bit further out that way. Let's go down to the southeast of Melbourne, Dandenong and surrounds, up north, Craigieburn and other. And, you know, without casting aspersions on the people that live in those suburbs, they're good people. But the truth is there's a lot of disadvantage. So there are young men because it's predominantly males that end up in institutions. I think the ratio is about 16 males to one female. So if we know that there are young people growing up in these environments, why don't we go in and catch them before they end up being sucked into the youth justice system, into trouble? Um, Offending and um, dysfunction begins very young, and it begins in families. And, you know, at the end of the day, I always say, well, let's fix the family. And if we can fix the family um, and give a young person a, a, a good role model, a good beginning, you know, some love, <laughs> yeah. it, it sounds a bit, uh, you know, cliched almost, but it's so true. Because um, most of my life I've worked with adults, adult men who are angry, drug affected, disillusioned, in and out of institutions, hating themselves, hating their lives, hating who they are and what they do, but they don't know how to change. And I've seen good men try so hard, so bloody hard, and it's it's caused me to become a bit cynical and angry um, and to want to move away from working with adult offenders because for some of them it's too late. And so we need to try and arrest the trends when they're still young, when they're still impressionable, where they're, they're still able to be um, assisted to change their lives. That, to me, is the challenge. And that's much more complicated than, you know, building a new institution and throwing in some rehabilitation programs. And, yeah, they're all, they're all good and well, but they're not going to address the causes of the problem. Do you think it's possible for a, a youth offender to be rehabilitated in institutions as they exist now? Look, rehabilitation, I could talk about that for an hour. <laughs> uh, I think it's a really hackneyed term and it, it's a much misunderstood term. Look, you can't, once a person ends up in an institution, I mean, it's almost idiotic to expect that you can rehabilitate them for freedom because they're in an institution. Yeah. When they're in a captive environment of institutionalised dependency. I mean, they step into institutions and everything is done for you. I mean, your individuality is taken from you, you're, you're powerless um, uh, to a very large degree. Um, you don't have responsibilities, you don't make choices, you don't grow up, you don't have interpersonal relationships if you're heterosexual with the opposite sex. Um, 
everything about it is it's like a fake environment it's like you're cocooned and one day you're let out now how can you become rehabilitated in an environment that's unnatural per se and so for a lot of them they get out of prison and in fact prison saves them because they've got a better life in there many of them and this is true than they do on the streets um on the streets they're drug addicted and sick and looking for the next hit which means the next victim and so they're often taken from that environment, placed in a prison context where they kind of blossom. And I call it the, the caterpillar syndrome. Caterpillars in the community, butterflies in prison. And then the converse happens to what we expect. They come out of prison and they re- revert to the caterpillar in the community. And this cycle just goes on and on. So yes, use prisons. If you're going to lock up violent people, and I'm not opposed to that, But from the moment they enter the institution, from the moment they enter, not tack on some programming at the end, uh, and this happens more so in the um, adult system, but um, um, start addressing the needs and the issues and utilise all of their time and most importantly provide them Uh, especially if they're young, with role models. I mean, that to me is one of the most significant ways to change a human being, not by doing programs, but by modelling pro-social behaviour. If you've got a young man, you uh, link that young fella with a man or men who can help that young person in the community just to do normal things that maybe that young kid's never done before. Um, I could tell you a thousand stories to illustrate this, but to me that is one of the most significant things you can do. And there aren't enough people in the community who either give a damn um, or are able to do that because the system doesn't cater enough for that sort of rehabilitation. I feel like we could talk to you for, for much longer, but unfortunately we're running out of time. We've been talking to Arthur Bolkus, criminologist, consultant, motivational speaker and ex-prisoner. Just before we let you go, there's been a lot of um, talk in the media putting a very different approach to the one that you've been putting um, where you're talking about, you know, the communities and so forth. The, the rhetoric in, the, in the, the, the press is much more about being tough on crime. What effect mm. do you think that will have? I survived five and a half years of prison when I was 22. Uh, I didn't realise at the time I was actually a young young man, you know, youth, <laughs> because the definition of youth up to 25 now. And I was very young. Um, and I think the only reason uh, when I came out of that regime that I didn't end up going back, because I only went once, um, is because I had family and I had strong support. And prior to going to prison, I had a really significant word happening in my life, and that's called education, because I went from a university context to prison. Most of the people in prison, if you look at their profiles, they are set up to fail from the moment that they're born. Uh, and that's just the truth. It's not being a bleeding heart. It's not uh, It's not going soft on criminals, um, but it's just a fact. And, and so, you know, these... Um, these environments are just conducive to uh, bringing out the worst in a human being. And if you take a person who's already damaged and you treat them harshly, for goodness sakes, you know, the old saying, if, if you kick a dog, it's going to bite you. Um, if you treat a human being with disrespect, 
that person is not going to get out and say, thank you for the experience and I'll be a good person now. The chances are they're likely to uh, exhibit more negative behaviour and um, the damage just becomes entrenched and it, um, it just becomes who they are. Mm. Um, and at the point later in life, if they want to change, um, the process of changing is almost an impossibility short of a miracle for most of them. Mm. So treat them with dignity and respect. You know, the bottom line is I always remind people that when these people were little kids, you know, they were, they were sweet and they were innocent, they were babies, they were pure. Something happened in the process between that and the offending. We need to understand what that process entails and then work back to the point where it begins and start addressing those issues. Until we do that, nothing will ever change. That's what I believe. We've been talking to Arthur Bolkus, criminologist, consultant, motivational speaker and ex-prisoner. Thank you so much for joining us on Breakfasters. My pleasure. You're in triple R. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. You are listening to Breakfasters on Triple R. Earlier I did a story in the news about the World Super 6 Golf in Perth which is some new... Awesome golf tournament. Well, yeah, kind of. So but it's like an elimination golf because I did a bit of research. It goes for like three days. Um, so they start with uh, 36 holes and then the top 65 players are cut and then it goes down to 18 and the top 24 players are cut until there's six holes and there's, um, there's uh, I don't know how many are left. And they play five rounds until there's one winner. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's it's basically elimination golf. It's like musical chairs. Yes. yes. So I was thinking about it and thinking, um, what other fun ways could you improve golf? Because um, you know, golf is golf. It's fun for some. And Just about anything would improve it. Yes. Well, <laughs> I concur. Yeah. Um, it is. I don't, yeah, golf's all right, uh, but certainly. Fun ways, like I'm thinking along the lines of cricket's great, test cricket's great, but then you make it a one day match. Oh, that's exciting! You make that, that's make it more exciting by making it a T20 match, and that's so. I'm thinking along the same lines of what could you do to golf to make it more exciting? Uh Here's what I've come up with. Oh, go for it. Um, I have a few things, a few ideas, make it speed golf. So you have to, yes, speed golf. You can't dawdle, no dawdling. And even um, to make it even more fun, like maybe instead of walking or a buggy between holes, like different forms of transport. Ah. Maybe you have to swim across the lake or cycle to or your next hole. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Like a triathlon of golf. Yeah, there's that. Also make it at night time. Glow in the, and get ah. your ball. So you can't see the ball. Yeah, no, but <laughs> you get a different a glow in the dark ball. Or what are those balls that have the laser lights flashing things in there? But how do you see the holes? Are they illuminated? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll put okay. a flag in it yeah. that lights it up. Good. Um, what else? Uh, oh, I asked did Vanessa before she le- left, what would she like to see? Yeah. And she said more robots. And I went, <laughs> well, any robots? Yes, for sure. <laughs> Um, but I'd like to see it um, as you're trying to get from, to your ball from, that you've just hit, that there's robots along the side that are like catapults and they catapult like um, those big exercise balls at you. Ah. Oh. That's fun. And do you have to duck the balls or do you have to like sit in your crunches on them? If it hits you, 
Like, if you get hit by one, then you have to do ten crunches before you could move on. This is just getting better and better. Awesome. But I feel Thank like golf you. could um, take some features of mini golf, which is very popular. Yeah. You know, well, because they've... In order Put a windmill in the yeah, middle of the right. course. Yeah, that's right. Through in a giant King Kong, you've got to get the ball in its mouth. Perfect. So forth. Also, um, I was thinking you could have a, a child to be your caddy and you have to use whatever club that they give you. <laughs> so if they give you a putter, you've got to use the putter. Oh, is that, do you think child, there might be some child labour laws? No, they'd be excited. It's it's been like being like a ball person at the tennis. It's oh, okay. fun. They'd like to be involved. But children, or, or if ball people w- get paid, or if there were oh, yeah, child, pay them for sure. If there were child labour laws, you could use a monkey instead. Yes. Yeah. Are the animal? Laws? Yeah, I think oh. there might be maybe Na- robots. Nanny state. Oh robots. yeah, robots <laughs> get around all those laws. Yeah. Ah. And yeah, okay, then robots can pick the um, <laughs> robot children. Pick pick the clubs, but but you have to program it. So if you can't program your robot to give you the right club, then you're out of luck. And um, oh, what is it? Oh, and during the play, um, you're allowed to kick the ball once. Oh, so good. That's oh. a good one, and isn't it, it? particularly because the pressure of do you use it for this one or do you use yeah. it for the next one? Yeah, kicking the ball. You know when you get really close to the hole and you just want to kick it in, or you get really frustrated because it's like you've hit it near a tree and you want to kick, yeah. or you want to kick it out of the sand bunker and stuff like that. And also there'd be like a press conference um, between holes, but you're not allowed to use any cliches, otherwise you get eliminated. <laughs> Oh. No, get around it. No, get around it. And there's no, oh, I just went out there and, you know, want, just wanted to hit the ball as hard as I could. And, just taking you know. it hole by hole. Yeah, none of that. You get eliminated if you use any of the cliches. Oh, See, man. I was thinking when you were first talking about this and talking about how they were getting eliminated, mm. that maybe they really did get eliminated, like in some kind of sci-fi horror movie. Oh, yes, yeah. like the Hunger Games. <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> So you miss your shot and then, like, you get sucked down into a whole lot of razor blades or something. Imagine that. (laughs) I'd watch that. Who wouldn't watch it? (laughs) Liven things up. Just a bit of wholesome golf talk and then you go into... (laughs) Sucking razor blades. (laughs) You are tuned to Breakfasters on Triple R. Last week we were talking about... um, I mentioned the Seymour... Alternative Farming Expo. Yes. And how I probably wasn't interested in going to that, but Kath was very interested and very excited about it. And and I said I probably wouldn't go. And then after that we um, received an email from somebody that um, was going and was a big fan. But he was, you know, lighthearted about it. He said, no, it's pretty good, mate. You should come and check it out. And if you do, come and say hi. Uh, and I went, you know what, maybe maybe there is something oh. in the Alternative Farming Expo It's very broad-minded of you. Yes, and I thought, you know, I don't, don't be, I'll say, I'm starting to try and say yes to more things. I think that's my New Year's thing is to go, yes, when someone says, would you like to come and do this? I'll go, yes. I did that last year, but then I got to a point where I'd said yes to too many things and had to stop for a very <laughs> long period of time. Oh, like, yeah. you know, you were going out yeah, too much. Oh, yeah, because I just kept saying, oh, yes, I'll do that, yes. And then I just found that I had too much on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think it's within reason. Actually, I did it last year as well. Like, I'm a and big I'm fan the, of the flat no. <laughs> yes, oh, we've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we're aware. Like, and I guess, you know, it's, it's saying, yes, that's why, I mean, that's why I have a tattoo. <laughs> <Now>. <laughs> it's, like, it's a big tattoo. A, yeah, that's a nice picture. Do you want it? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. It's like a Jim oh, Carrey movie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, but I went to the Alternative Farming Expo. <clears throat> this is from my big weekend. So I'd been to White Night, which I loved so much and I thought it was just magical. And then um, so I, I got home and um, got in the car and we drove to Seymour uh, and I did uh, say good day to Gavin, who was the guy that emailed us. Excellent. And uh, he was lovely. It was really great and he showed me... Uh, where all the spanners were. Oh, oh. Were, there, were there many tables of spanners? So many tables of spanners. <laughs> so many, like, trestle tables of, like, spanners, like the biggest spanners you've ever seen in your life, <clears throat> amongst all these other tools. Is there much variation amongst spanners? Yeah, just, apparently just so. Or? Yeah, just, I didn't look at it okay. in detail. I just went, there's the spanners. <laughs> and there's, like, but all these other tools as well. And I jokingly said to Kathy, look, ooh, which one of these do you want? She went, all of them. I want all of them. I'm like, all right, we're walking away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the highlights um, was there was um, a whip-cracking guy there, um, Nathan Whippy Griggs, who yeah, – Whippy? <laughs> so that's what they call him. <laughs> not, not Mr Whippy? <laughs> no, just Whippy. He holds several several world records. So he holds the world record for the most amount of whip cracks in a minute. Oh. oh. Which is something like 400. It's some insane wow. amount. Yeah. And he showed us how he did it and he got another guy <clears throat> to stand in front of him and then he'd put his arms around him and just cracked <laughs> whips in front of him and it was so insane it was just yeah, anyway it was like 10 something like 10 cracks every second wow have you ever tried to crack a whip yes i yes it's very hard <laughs> yeah. it is i remember doing it as a kid and thinking i can do this and then no it's just like thuk. yeah there's no crack i've i did manage to do it like it, it's farm that we used to go to on family holidays and stuff they had a whip there but I, I had massive welts on my back from... Oh, God. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Just one time. I, Very yeah, Catholic I, of you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but I just, it was just that one time where I, I, did, I accidentally um, whipped myself on the Did Whippy give you any tips? Uh, no. No, he said... No, he, huh. sorry. But he did... Um, it was one of those, you know, shows where... Uh, he's doing a display, goes for about five, you know, 30 minutes and he's like talking to the audience but it's that people just kind of sit there and are completely unengaged. They go, oh, this is this is lovely. And I think as a performer myself, I was, you know, a bit empathetic of him trying to get the crowd oh, rolled up and stuff. They much back. Yeah, and so I was very vocal and, Aww. well, not over the top, but just kind of <laughs> would laugh at his jokes and would clap and stuff when Aww. he'd ask us to and because um, and I had my camera and my camera has, as Sarah would put it, an aggressive loom, zoom <laughs> lens. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite. Very it's, aggressive. It's really big. <laughs> But I, it's just a big, you know, camera. 
like anyway so I'd been taking photos and he'd noticed this and then so he got me and I'm like yes I get picked out of the audience <laughs> and then um he said you I'm, I'll get you to take some some photos for me and so he got me to lie down on my back and he stood over the top of me and cracked whips either side of me I can I just say I got a message from Kath Jez's partner yesterday, and I thought that's weird that Kath is messaging me. Like maybe Jez is ill, and she wants to tell me that she's not going to come in. And it was just a picture of Jez lying on the ground with a man whipping. standing over her, whipping her while she was taking photos of him. I just couldn't deal with it. I think I laughed for an hour. Oh really? That photo is now my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite the experience. And the other thing that I really loved was there was a um, snake person there. Oh, did you get to hold snakes? No, no, because he had like ten of like five of the top ten deadliest snakes. That wow. wasn't a – but he did – and also it's, I don't think snakes would like to be held that much. So no. I think most snake experts, they'll just let you pat it. So uh, he did, mind you, he, this is a python that he let us pat. He got out a python at the start and he said, you can have a little pat, see what it's like to, to touch. And I was like, oh, let's touch a snake. That's fun. Um, when someone else is holding it, mind you, sorry, I should – I don't just go out in the bush <laughs> and go, Ugh. yeah, I'll touch Pat that. A snake. Yeah, that would yeah. be kind of alternative farming, wouldn't it? If you were wouldn't it? Just yeah. going around patting snakes everywhere. So uh, I love that. I'm very confused by this alternative farming festival. It yes. just seems there's to be a, a farming, large array of... Farming snakes. Yeah. Whippy the whip cracker. Well, I mean, that was the stuff that I was interested in. Mind you, there was, there was plenty of alternative. There was plenty of tractors and Kath had lovely talks with people about worm farms and <laughs> septic tanks. So I don't know and much about farming, but what do spanners got to do with farming? Fix a tractor, mate. Ah, well, there you go. Got to yeah. fix, fix a tractor. Yeah. Yeah. Throw them at a snake. Yeah. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 R. <laughs> it is Friday, funny buggers. <laughs> Amongst the comedic wasteland, one man stands true. Yes. Nick Capper. <laughs> I took that from your um, blurb in the Comedy Festival Guide. Yep. That's very well written. Yeah. The no- mas- join the master of mayhem as he descends on his, qui- on his quest for the chrome doggy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, comedic wasteland. I meant to write in parentheses, except Geraldine Hickey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you know, like, um, you know, like, a, a lot of guys rang me in distress <laughs> You know, like, uh, what is it, uh, Barry Humphreys and Rodney Roode and yes. Kevin Buddy Wilson <laughs> and, and Jim Jeffries. Uh, they, they all rang me up and they're like, hey, Nick, there needs to be a new Australian bad boy of comedy. We're very distressed. And here you are. Yeah, yeah, here I am. I'm wearing chinos and a shirt my grandma bought me. <laughs> I think it's Sportscraft or something like that. You, you look very nice. Uh, yeah, I'm, very I'm, nice. I'm an all Australian bad boy of comedy. <laughs> Um, yeah, so just hit me up, guys. If you want to tweet at me with all your hate, I'll come back at you. And I'm poignant as well. Very poignant, poignant. and dangerous. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Poignant and dangerous. <laughs> I, defend all, I defend all those easy targets. <laughs> so uh, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, well, guys, look, what's the unfollowing on Facebook or unfollowing on social media? Yes. Does it make you guys feel good? Uh, yeah. 
Sometimes it does. Thought of, yeah, there's a certain amount of relief there, there's I guess. There's a range of emotions. Sometimes it makes me feel scared because I think <laughs> yeah. I'm taking a risk and I'm going to have to run into this person at yeah. some stage and they might realise. Other times I find it really satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Do you th- I think there's some apps that show you who <gasps> didn't follow you or things like that. I don't want to scare you, but really, I mean, good. But who, if, yeah. if someone goes to the extent of finding out whether I've unfollowed them, I'm very happy not to be following yeah, them. Dickhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other people just post stuff and I'm like, this has taken up room in my life. Like, you're a really nice person, but nobody cares about your chilies you've just grown. <laughs> Out. Out. Sarah. Cut. <laughs> Cut. Hey, I say that for Instagram. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, some people, uh, they post, that, like, like they... I give them a second chance and they're good. Like my friend uh, Felicity, who's uh, who's probably listening, uh, she uh, she was just posting cr- like crazy. She loves architecture, houses and food, you know what I mean? Just yeah. everything like that. And I was like, slow it down, Felicity, you know. <laughs> I didn't say it, but I was like, you're on the cusp, right? You are on the bloody cusp, Felicity. There was, there was, you know, there was a lot of photos coming up. Now... She's whittled them down to a beautiful assortment of photos that make me feel good, you know. <laughs> Do you have a bit of a warning emoji so that someone yeah. might know that you're they're on the path to being unfriended by you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like, how do you warn someone? Yeah. Well, no, no, there's no warning. I think those people are just smart enough right. to know. When you, I think you – do you guys know as – like, sometimes I've posted something and I've gone, what is your life, Nick? <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> You're an awful person. Yeah. Like what? Uh Oh, this is getting a bit personal, but – Come on. Like, it's just us. <laughs> it it kind of leads that subject where it is all about you. You know, like yeah. – uh, I was uh, my grandma passed away, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'd like to post a, a this photo of her on a motorbike. It's really good, right? And I was awesome. like, oh, bye, bye, grandma, right? Yeah. And I thought, this isn't about my grandma. This is about me, you know. Like it's this true. is so yeah. about me, yeah. you know. And and then she had a, a carer who was a, a refugee, mm-hmm. um. And 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 you know she uh, she came from the Congo, v- v- like a, uh, the worst story I've ever. Her whole family died in the Congo, and then oh. she managed to escape to Australia. Oh. And I was like, hey, we should let refugees, you know, into the country. You know what I mean? Like she she's part this this lady's part of our family now, mm. even though she doesn't care for her grandma uh, anymore. But I was like, oh, this is all about me. This is not about... Because are you just thinking the whole time, this is going to get so This is going to kill. (laughs) This is going to get so, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, what's what's some like primary, like what's... I appreciate that self-awareness because I often see posts that people are doing for their children or something and I think, this isn't for your child. This is so you get 150 likes on that cute photo of your child, which I'm not against totally, but I agree. I, I love I, like it is. It is weird the age we live in. Like I don't know. You, I don't know if you've got this Geraldine at a show where a, go, a guy came up to me <laughs> a while back and he goes, "Man, look, I know you didn't do, do so well tonight, but you've got an individual voice, right? <laughs> you've got an individual voice, Whoa. and and although people will not catch on to your art now, <laughs> they will catch on to your art later." And I thought, I thought that, that was so good that he was. He was telling me that, but then also he just kept going, just kept going. Man, the great artists do this. If you just keep honing your thing, working 24 hours a day, whatever, maybe it'll be 10 years, maybe 30 years, maybe 40 years. And he didn't stop for like three minutes and I thought, this is no longer about me. 
<laughs> this guy, this guy was just watching the show, going, "Oh my god, I cannot wait to give this guy a bunch of stuff that he already knows." Oh my god, yeah. it's an IRL <laughs> Facebook post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. yeah like it, it's, it's just hilarious, but you. You don't really, and then, but then some things you just can't hold back, can you? Mm. Like when I'm riding my, I, I go out to my parents' place out in the country, and I'm riding dirt bikes, and I love riding dirt bikes. I I, I probably got unfollowed a lot due to photos of dirt bikes. <laughs> Me riding the dirt bikes, <laughs> just beautiful. There's something. It, it must be like having a kid, I guess. Yeah. But- <laughs> like oh, God, my kid looks great <laughs> in this landscape. <laughs> But you're posted, there's an entertainment value added to it. It's not just you on a dirt bike. It's you maybe singing a song whilst you're riding a dirt bike or making a video. I I do try to make it funny. And uh, anyway, guys, it's at Kappa Flapper. (laughs) (laughs) Please please send me some feedback if you would like me to do the uh, grandma and refugee post. If you think that would be worthy to society, <laughs> what if Peter Dutton's just scrolling, he's just scrolling and he just looks up hashtag Nick Kappa. Oh, I, I want to know a prominent open mic comedian in the Melbourne scene. Oh, yeah, okay, you changed my mind, Kappa. <laughs> this lady looked after your grandma, cool. Yeah, all right, bring in the boats. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I, I really don't know how it... I, this morning, I, because I don't know what, like I used to think Vice was pretty good. They mm. had this, uh, they had the Vice Guide to Liberia, which I reckon everyone should see. It's just like very good documentary on Liberia. It is the craziest place I've ever seen in my whole life. And I thought they had heaps of stuff like that. But now it's kind of a bit like I had to unfollow Vice yesterday because it was like, Watch these two people be awful to each other on the subway. And oh. it was like, grow up or something like that. And I'm like, you grow up, Vice. <laughs> what, are you, what are you, putting videos up of people being horrible to each other on the subway? It's because Murdoch bought into them. He bought 20%. Now Vice is, <laughs> it's basically, I don't know, what is it, People magazine without the girls. You know what I mean? It's, which is the only reason people read it in the first place. But, yeah, I, 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 yeah just stuff like that, you know, like or this Instagram couple are having an argument and then they, they follow, like they're covering journalism of stuff that is already out in the media. Yeah. Like yeah, how weird yeah. is that? Like you're like a reinterpreter. I'm like, oh, if, this, if this is important to me, it'll come to me. You know what I mean? Like if a new motorbike's being released. You'll know about it. it. It'll, it'll, I'll know about it, all right? <laughs> Uh, if people want to know more about you, uh, they can go to nickkappa.com and also make sure you get tickets for Kappa's show, uh, Nick Kappa Chrome Doggy. Hey, thanks yeah. so much for coming in again. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to add you on Facebook right now. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.